And what a great reminder that for all of us who are leaning on Jesus this morning, that we will never be deserted, that we will never be left, we will never be forsaken, but that God will keep us and will be with us uh, into eternity. Amen? Well, we're going to now come to God's Word. So let's take up our Bibles and let's turn to Mark chapter 2 this morning. Thinking back to singing about how vast the benefits are that we have to even be able to say, take up God's Word and open it and read it. It's such a a great blessing that God speaks to us, and he does through his word that he's given to us. We're going to read Mark chapter 2, and we'll read verses 23, and we'll read down through chapter 3 and verse 6 of that chapter. So beginning in in, uh, chapter 2 and verse 23, Mark writes here, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so what he writes is God's word to us this morning. Let us hear it. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence? which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered a synagogue, and a man, or the, the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. We'll end our reading there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the time that we have, Lord, to, to hear it, to think on it, to consider what it teaches to us. We pray that you would bless, uh, especially this time, Father, that we uh, look to your word. Bless the one who preaches. Uh, give him Uh, knowledge and understanding of your word. Bless the preparation that he has made. We pray that you would uh, give him uh, a voice of authority to proclaim your word this morning. We pray that for all of us who hear, that we would hear uh, humbly, that we would hear with joy, Father, as we consider uh, the words that we'll look at this morning. We pray that we would come away um, just being in awe of what you have done. And we ask this all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as we return this morning once again to Mark's record of the life and the ministry of Jesus, we are picking up here at the end of chapter 2. 
with a time, again, we've mentioned this, a time in Jesus' ministry when his authority that he has displayed earlier in the book uh, through his preaching, through his miracles, that that's now being disputed, it's being questioned uh, in regard particularly to his lack of adherence, his lack of obedience to the traditions of the Jewish religious authorities. That would particularly be the Pharisees, the scribes and the, the Pharisees. Jesus, remember, for example, had dared to eat and to associate with those that the scribes and the Pharisees would not. For them, for the scribes and the Pharisees, that was just something that a religious teacher did not do. Jesus did. Uh, we've seen how Jesus and his disciples did not fast as the Pharisees did and as they required others to do. And remember that as we've looked at this, it's, it's important to keep in mind that as we talk about Jesus not being in conformity to that, uh, those rules of the religious authorities, we need to remember that Jesus was not disobeying God's law in any of this, uh, but, but he did not adhere to those added rules, those additional um, commands that the Pharisees had given, which for them constituted acceptable religion those additional human laws which they had elevated to a place equal with, in some cases, above, as we looked at last week, uh, God's own word. And that's something that, that should not have happened then. It should never happen. But it is something also that, that we should be careful t- today that because we need to be on guard against that in ourselves because we are also quite susceptible to the same kinds of things, to see our particular brand of Christianity to be not only the best, uh, not only the most reflective of the Bible's teaching, but to be the only real God-pleasing version of Christianity. And this morning, in fact, it was the, the Pharisees sort of reveal that about themselves. We're going to see another prime example of this very problem. The issue at hand in the verses at the end of chapter 2 and into the beginning of chapter 3, the issue is the Sabbath, a subject that will continue to be an issue. And Mark begins here in uh, verse 23, Uh, by saying one Sabbath. And that indeed is the key component to all of this, to both of these little vignettes in these verses. Each takes place, and the significance of the events is seen in that they both take place on the Sabbath. We'll see two different uh, separate situations. One takes place in a field. The other takes place in a synagogue. Both very important. Both very straightforward in the the setup for what is going on. First, we're going to look at the Sabbath and hunger and see how those go together here in this story that Mark records for us. In verse 23... We see that one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. Now, why are they doing that? Well, Matthew gives us the very obvious answer to that question. He writes, because his disciples were hungry. They were hungry. 
So as they're walking through this field, going from one place to another, they pulled off some of the heads of of wheat or barley, whatever it happened to be, and they were eating them. And that's, that's the setup. That's the situation. We would think there would be no issue with that at all. But while they were doing that, apparently it came to the attention of the Pharisees who also saw their job in Israel to be sort of the the theology police, to be watching for these violations. Remember, the Pharisees were the the separatists. They were the sort of the fundamentalists of the day, and they held themselves up as keepers of the law and as the final word on that law. Also remember that they had, over the past few hundred years leading up to the time that we're looking at here, that they had expanded God's law. They had added to it uh, by beginning to see how can we, we help people to be holy. They began to redefine holiness, to give it their own spin, to say this is what it needs to have, this is what it needs to say. And they had done that in the, the, by adding some 613 additional commandments that went far beyond what God's law actually said. And that to them, to the Pharisees, these additional rules, these additional laws were also a part of the definition of what was required to be a good uh, observant Jew. And they see what Jesus and his, particularly his disciples are doing. And so verse 24 says that the Pharisees were saying to him, look, what, and that word look is, is, is like, hey, stop, look at this, what is going on? And the question is why, uh, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why are they doing this? And we might just add here that, again, this is very characteristic of of the Pharisees. They were quite adept and quite focused on pointing out the failures and the sins of others. Not so much considering their own sin, but the sins of others. Such as, remember, when they brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. And Jesus expertly turned their hypocrisy back on them when he said, the one of you who is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. And here, the the key, or they key in on what to them is a very serious issue, and that is this failure to properly observe the Sabbath day, at least according to their view on how the Sabbath is to be observed. The Jewish Sabbath, remember, uh, the seventh day of the week, Saturday, was established by God in the Old Testament. It was established by him not in the, the Mosaic law, but, but even before that, the Sabbath goes all the way back to the very beginning, to the opening chapters of Genesis. It goes very back, all the way back to the creation. And it finds its source there. It finds its foundation, the, command, the Sabbath command does, in the creation itself and in God's activity during the creation, or specifically at the end. In Genesis 2.1, Uh, Moses writes, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
And of course, hundreds of years later, the law given at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, uh, sets down that required obedience of one day in seven as a Sabbath, as a rest. The fourth commandment enjoined upon Israel in the Old Testament the specific observance of, at that time, the seventh day, the last day of the week, as a holy day on which no work was to be done, either by man or his children or his servants, even his livestock, even the stranger uh, who was within the cities. They were all required to rest. They were all required to keep the day holy. And the reason is that God himself had rested, rested on the seventh day, and he blessed it and he hallowed it, which means he set it apart as something special. And the text of the Ten Commandments that we hear almost every Sunday here specifically gave that as the reason, pointed back to creation. Uh, He says that they are to observe the Sabbath day for or because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So it finds its root not in something that was specific to Israel, but something that was to all mankind. And that is the creation before Moses, before the creation of a particular people. And the express purpose for the Sabbath is as a a forced opportunity, let's call it, for man to rest. An opportunity As God rested from his work, you are to rest from your work. And that, beloved, is a good thing. It is a blessing from God that he has given to us in the Sabbath. And the Sabbath laws in the the Old Testament, they were actually very simple. The Sabbath is a day of resting from your normal labor. You were to rest physically as well as you were to to rest in the recognition of the deeds of God, of what he had done, specifically in redemption. You know, the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus chapter 20, but then at the other end of the wilderness wanderings in Deuteronomy 5, that Moses restates the, the Ten Commandments to the people who are going to get ready to go into the Promised Land. And when he states the fourth commandment, the commandment about the Sabbath there, that he adds an additional ground for that. And that is that they are to remember, he says, that you were slaves in Egypt, but that God brought you out of there with a, a mighty hand. He brought them out by his power. So a reminder there of redemption, of that great act of God. And so those two things are given in the Old Testament. The, the, the act of God in resting after creation, and the act of God in redeeming his people. So the people were to rest physically, and they were to remember the deeds of God for those things. The command to rest, the command to remember. That was really about it. So so where did all of these other restrictions come from that we read so often about? Well, During the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we call it the intertestamental period, 
those 400 years between uh, Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist, with the rise of this group of Jews that came to be known as the Pharisees, the rules regarding observation of the Sabbath were expanded, as were all of these other rules that added up to the, the 613 rules that they had given. But through them, through the Pharisees, large numbers of restrictions, large numbers of rules were formulated for the conduct of life. And as a result, what we see, and Jesus points this out at so many places in the New Testament, the great biblical principles of the Old Testament were lost to sight by the innumerable number of petty details that were added to it. And on the topic at hand, there are 39 categories of of actions that were added that were prohibited on the Sabbath. And that's not just 39 commands, not just 39 rules, 39 categories of rules. This all came to a head during the time of Christ. Sabbath observance had, like so much of, of religion, had become an end in itself not as a means to an end, but as an end to itself. And so based on all of this, the Pharisees see what the disciples are doing, see that they're breaking one of these commands that they had given, and they come up to Jesus and say, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Not according to God's law, according to their law. Particularly, here Jesus' disciples, by plucking off the the heads of grain under the Pharisaic understanding, that amounted to harvesting, which was not to be done on the Sabbath. And Luke gives us the added detail that as they pulled these heads off, that they rubbed it in their hands to to get the the part that you can eat away from the part that you can't eat. And to the Pharisees, that would be considered threshing. Another violation of the Sabbath. You know, in the, in the Pharisees' understanding, and Jesus will address this here shortly, but in the, the Pharisees' understanding, man, it seemed, was made for the Sabbath, that he was subservient to it, that he was sort of under its thumb as a taskmaster. He was to just uphold it uh, in a multitude of ways. There was no, or almost no, need of man No situation that could validate any transgression of the traditions of the elders on the subject of Sabbath Sabbath observance, as we see in these two situations that we're looking at this morning. But in verse 25 through 28, Jesus responds to them, responds to their question. And remember, and I'll probably say this again later in the, the sermon this morning, Jesus is not here coming out against observing the Sabbath. He's not uh, negating the Sabbath. He's not abrogating the Sabbath. He is now going to speak against the Pharisaic misinterpretation and the the reason, the heart of the Sabbath command and and of their flipping the Sabbath on its head. What was given to man as a blessing by God, the Pharisees had turned into a burden. And that's what Jesus is going to address. What was given to be a joy to man, a gift from God, the the Pharisees had turned into a drudgery, a source of condemnation. And that is what Jesus wants to point out to them 
and us here. And his response to them is basically this. Have you guys ever read your Bibles? Is what he's saying. You know, Matthew, in Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're wrong in the subject that they were talking about. You're wrong because you don't know the Scriptures. And that's what he's saying here. You who pride yourselves as guides to the blind and, and upholders of God's law, don't you even realize that you're missing the good, you're missing the point of the Sabbath that was given. And he directs them to instruct them to an incident in King David's life, not an an inconsequential person to bring up. Before he was king, when he was just David, Saul was pursuing him. Remember, Saul hated David, and so at one point he was pursuing him. And David and his men, who who are fleeing from before Saul, hiding from him, they come to the priestly city of Nob, N-O-B, just outside of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus tells the pertinent portion here of this story, namely that David and his companions, being on the run, being very hungry, famished, uh, without any food, because they left very quickly, uh, they come to this city, and David goes to the priest there in Nob, and, and asks him, First Samuel 21 is where you can go if you want to see this story, he says, now, what do you have on hand? You know, what kind of food do you have? Uh, give me five loaves of bread so that I can feed my people. Give me five loaves of bread, he says, or whatever is here. And the priest responds to David and says, the only bread that we have here is holy bread. That is bread that was baked particularly, and was put into use as what our text here talks about, as the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence, and that's God's presence that's being spoken of. Those were 12 loaves of bread that were specially baked, and every week were put out on a, a gold table outside of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and they were replaced every Sabbath day. They were, the old was taken away, the new fresh was put. It was a, a, a means of, of representing the fellowship that God had with his people. And this special bread, according to Leviticus 24.5, was to be eaten only by Aaron and his sons as part of the provision that they were given. But in the record in 1 Samuel, the priest goes and he gets this bread and uses it to feed David and his men that are with him. And the point here is that these ceremonial provisions, this is part of the ceremonial law, that the ceremonial provisions of the law were not above being tailored to a critical human need, such as hunger. Preservation of human life was more important than the strictness of the ceremonial law. Now remember again, this is the ceremonial law we're talking about. This is not God's moral law. This is not the Ten Commandments. Jesus is not here by bringing this up. He's not relativizing the commandments and saying uh, that you could break the the moral law if there was an important reason. Um, Second, and this adds weight to the way that Jesus is using the story here, is that if the ceremonial law is 
this is bringing this illustration in, if the ceremonial law was able to be set aside, it was ceremonial, it wasn't moral, but it was part of the law of God, if that's able to be set aside in order to render aid to, to those in severe need, then how much more are these Pharisaic additions able, these man-made expressions on the law of the Sabbath to be excused for the same purpose, addressing the hunger, in this case, of Jesus' disciples. Um, As you look at this and you read this story from 1 Samuel, the fact that God did not condemn David for the action that he took shows us just how much of an error then the Pharisees were making for their, their broad, unbending interpretation of what constitutes an illegitimate relaxing of the law of the Sabbath. The Pharisees, in other words, were clearly out of line in having trouble with Jesus' actions since God did not have a problem with David's actions in regard to the ceremonial law in a similar situation. And to add to this, we could even mention that the law specifically allows for someone to eat grain out of someone else's field. Uh, With one caveat, it said that if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So if you're wandering through a field and you're hungry, you could take a little, but you couldn't bring your combine in and, and harvest the whole field and take it home with you. And then Jesus teaches a point from this reminder in verses 27 and 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, we we have to be specific in our understanding of these statements. Jesus is not teaching, again, a, a relativized ethic where God's commands, his moral commands, can be dispensed with any time we think there's a higher purpose. But here, with regard to the Pharisees' laws on the Sabbath, Jesus is reminding them of the true nature of the Sabbath, of the purpose of the Sabbath. And that is, as a man-benefiting commandment, the Sabbath was made for man, it is not violated by the disciples eating of grain to satisfy their hunger. The plucking up and eating is not harvesting. It's not a violation of the Sabbath. And Jesus reminds them of of what we've been saying this morning, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man's pleasure, for his good for his vitality, for his rest, for his revitalization, his enjoyment of God. And it was not, as the Pharisees had recast it, man being made for the Sabbath. Where the Sabbath is up here and man is down here. It's a gift given to man. The Pharisees felt that regardless of the burden that it put on people, that the piling up of these requirements, uh, that whatever they caused, the Sabbath had to be upheld. That there was no possibility of, of overriding that for any purpose, even hunger. And Jesus is really saying to them, especially in this next statement, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying to them, you have no right 
you have no place to turn what is meant for to be a blessing and to turn that into a burden. And Jesus states to them, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Remember he had used that same phrase, the Son of Man, from the book of Daniel, that very important and, and lofty title. He had used that earlier as he declared and proved his authority as the Son of Man to forgive sins at the beginning of chapter 2. He said that in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins and then told the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. And he says it here that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord is the one who gets to say when the situation is such that it can be um, dispensed with, especially the way that they had um, delineated the law. It was his right, Jesus' right, to declare what is and what is not true, proper observance of the Sabbath. And that's because, well, it was his Sabbath. He's the one who instituted it. And that the purpose of the Sabbath then and now for us is to rest, to refresh ourselves, to break from our usual work, to rejoice in God our Creator and Redeemer. When we talk about the law of the Sabbath and we discuss it in in our context and we talk about uh, what is required to observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, we say that it refers to a a resting from your work all the day and, and using the day in worshiping God, except we recognize for acts of necessity, acts of mercy, which is what this exactly is. The Sabbath is for man's blessing and is something that we really need, something that is more advantageous for us than we recognize. Man, left to his own will, will either become a sluggard or a workaholic. And what began in our modern society, particularly on the workaholic side, uh, began with a five-day work week, has now become a six-day work week, and, and to many people... It's a seven-day work week. We just work all the time. But God, in his wisdom, gave us, by command, a guaranteed and very needful respite from all of that. A rest from this cycle of working. Six days of work, one day of rest. By his command, he knew what we needed. He knows what's good for us. And so he instituted that. I think it's, it's, it's like when I was a kid, and for you, many of the same, you'd be out as a kid riding your bike, running around, and your mom would call you in. Why? Because you've got school tomorrow. And you need your rest. By giving us a bedtime. You can't stay up till midnight. But you have to go to bed early so that you get the rest that you need in order to do what you have to do. God says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but not seven days. The seventh is set apart. The seventh is for you to rest. The seventh is for you to worship. One day per week, God said, is specifically my day. But also in the way he's given it, it's also our day, isn't it? Because it's a gift to us to enjoy. It's not a day to spend in more work 
but a day to rest, a day to revive yourself and to spend with God and with your family, your family, your physical family, and your spiritual family. We, we have trouble learning that. And then the way I think that Christians will get on board with God's provision here and God's command regarding the Sabbath, uh, the only way to get us there is to focus, not as the Pharisees did, on a list of laws and saying you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this. But we need to focus on what we should do, what we can do on the purpose of the Sabbath, on the gift that it is. A reminder that, that we work because God first rested from his work, and that is true in his work of creation, and it's true in Christ's work of redemption. We work and we rest, particularly spiritually, because Jesus said, it is finished. And for those days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, he rested there from his work. So we see the Sabbath and the, the, the issues of the Lord's Day, the issues that he gave us, the Sabbath and hunger particularly. But then we also want to look at the Sabbath and healing. And that's in chapter 3 as Mark begins there. He begins it still talking about the Sabbath. But the story here starts now in the synagogue. And as we learned earlier, it was Jesus' usual practice to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath on Saturday, and as he is there this day, Mark tells us that someone else is there. He says there is a, a man, again, verse three, or chapter 3, verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And verse 2 then says, and they watched Jesus. That's very sinister sounding. And it's, it's a sinister uh, intent. Who is it that's watching Jesus? the Pharisees. And why did they watch him? Why were they watching him now? Well, they've seen what a flippant attitude Jesus has toward the Sabbath, they would say. It says here in the text, they watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Oh, shock of shock. Would he do this? Would he violate this? On the Sabbath, again, the passage is talking about what Jesus did and what he allowed on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they've come to the synagogue this day not to learn, not to worship, not to rejoice in God, not to call on God, but to trap Jesus, to have something to use against him, to see if he would persist in what, according to them, he should not do. They are there to try to find something to hold against Christ. So the issue here isn't even a healing. The issue here isn't really even the Sabbath. The issue is healing this man on the Sabbath. And they await the revelation. They await seeing what Jesus is going to do. The text here says that they might accuse him. Again, that's their mindset. This is a very revealing few verses here in Mark's gospel because it really now starts to, to show the way that the Pharisees are there forming their opinion of Jesus. The Pharisees' motivation now is, is just evil. They're looking for evidence to hold against him. And in verse 3, we read that Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, 
come here. Now, of course, Jesus knows what's going on. He's no, he knows what's in their heart. He knows what they're up to. But he's not afraid of them. He's not worried about them. But he has the man come. See, he's, he confronts them, doesn't he, with their, their hypocrisy. He has the man come and stand in front of all of them. Literally, when he, when he says come here, it, mean, it means come stand in the midst of us. So stand here where everyone can see. And then, before he heals the man, he addresses the Pharisees. He says, sort of, before I heal this man, and I'm going to heal this man, let me ask you a question about the law. And it's in verse 4. He said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? See, I said the, the issue here is not about healing. The issue here is not really about the Sabbath per se. Jesus is not questioning here whether the Sabbath is, a, is still binding, is still applicable. Of course it is. But the question is, what is appropriate? What is allowable? What is legitimate to do on the Sabbath? God said on the Sabbath, don't work, rest from your secular vocation, don't conduct business, and thereby cause others to have to work. Allow your sons and your daughters and your servants and your animals to rest. Uh, do good. The Pharisees said, well, that's all good and fine. But we also have these, uh, these 39 categories here uh, detailing what we say it means to work. And we've seen already that, that picking grain and eating it falls under their category of work. And we'll see that they apparently thought healing a man's useless, withered hand to heal him, to restore this poor guy born in the image of God to restore him to wholeness, to give him back the ability to work the other six days of the week. Well, Jesus, that is in and of itself work as well, and we'll have none of that. So they wait to see if he'll do it, that they might find him in violation of their Sabbath law and accuse him. And they don't even want to talk about it, right? They don't want to discuss it at all. So when he asks the very obvious question with a very obvious answer, is it better to do good or to do evil, to take life or to give it on the Sabbath, he asks them that, and they just stand there and stare at him. They were silent, it says. They were entrenched in their religiosity, in their tradition. I mean, as we look down at, at verse 6, we'll see that they're already there angry enough to, to begin to plot ways to get rid of Jesus and, and hard-hearted enough to be offended by Jesus' deed here. Even though, by the way, he had not even broken their law here. He didn't create a lotion or some sort of salve or anything which would have been a violation of the law. He spoke a word. That's all he did. But they were still angry and silent. Verse 5 says that he looked around at them with anger, with his own anger, grieved at the hard, their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So see, Jesus is displaying here what we would call um, righteous indignation. 
righteous anger. Anger, Mark says, as a result of, of Jesus' grief at their hardness of heart. Jesus asked elsewhere in the New Testament, he says, which of you, if he has a sheep and it falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, won't take it out? And he goes on to say, of, much, of how much more worth is a man than a sheep? Lost on them here. They were so hard-hearted. And that they were so hard-hearted as to remain silent at the question, should we do good or evil, their moral compass is so fouled up that they couldn't even answer that. And it fills Jesus with such grief that he looks at them with anger. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. That man had come to the synagogue that day to to enjoy the blessing of God, to learn of the nature of God in the synagogue. Boy, he got more than he bargained for in that, didn't he? But the externalized religion of the Pharisees would have had that man return home with a withered hand still. But Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, he had other plans, better plans. Jesus offered a work of grace on this man. By the way, this is the only healing in the New Testament that is not the response of a request. Jesus offers a work of grace. To a a withered hand and a humble man, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And, And even as he spoke those words, he did the work of restoration. I mean, when he said, stretch out your hand, this man's hand was withered. It was useless. He couldn't stretch out his hand any more than the paralytic earlier could have walked to the home where Jesus was. But Jesus did the work in the call. The same as when he had called his disciples and said, follow me. You know, and this healing should have caused the Pharisees to rejoice in God. I'm sure it affected the rest of those present that way. But to the hard-hearted Pharisees, all it does is give them what they wanted. And again, I say this is a turning point in in the ministry of Jesus and in the Pharisees' reaction to it. And verse 6 tells us that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Now, who are the Herodians? We don't know very much about them, but we do know that they were in league with the Roman Empire. They were supporters of of the Herods, the rulers there. They were a political group, not a theological group. And, And it's very strange coalition that forms here between the Pharisees and the Herodians, for the Pharisees would not want to have anything to do with those who supported Herod. Their hatred of Jesus must have been very great for them to hold counsel with the Herodians. And it was. Because the Pharisees' approach to God was based on what you must do and not do. But Jesus' approach to God was reaching out in grace and calling sinners. To the Pharisees and to those who follow their approach to God even today whether it's the Sabbath or or fastings or washings or prayer, everything to them was just another task to be done. Another rung to be climbed. 
in each individual's Tower of Babel to reach God. But with Jesus, salvation is a gift that he gives, freely given and received by faith. And that's what we see here. Well, what about the Sabbath? Well, it's still in force. Though it's taken on a new day, it's now the first day of the week, it's taken on an enhanced significance now on this side of the cross, but it's still in force, and it's still not about our doing or not doing. It is still a great and loving gift from our Creator and our Redeemer. It's still a time of rest. It's still a time of of remembering what God has done. It's still a time of doing good, as Jesus did. We rejoice in this day. Beloved, rejoice in the Lord's day. And even though we can't heal a withered hand like Jesus did, doing good on the Sabbath day, we can't heal a withered hand, but we can, we can visit a withered soul. We can remind them of the love of God and of the truth Sabbath, the, the true rest that we find only in Christ. We can talk during the day of what we've heard from God's word in the service. We can sing the songs and talk about the songs. We can rejoice in the gospel. And we can thank God for this first day of this new week. And let us do that. And let us thank him that the Lord of the Sabbath is our eternal rest. And to that, let's say, amen. Our Father, we thank you for the the gift of this day. We pray that you would help us to enjoy it. We pray that you would help us to to sanctify it, to set it apart, to recognize that it has been set apart to us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to rejoice in the benefit that it is to us. We pray that we would be refreshed uh, physically and spiritually on this day. And we we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Help us to, to do good on this day. Help us to not see this day as just rule upon rule upon rule, but an enjoyment. As one has said, Lord, a a great feast day of the soul. We pray these things in Jesus' most wonderful and precious name. Amen.